Before we begin, I'd just like to remind you that this episode is also available as a video. So if you'd like to check out myself and Andy in all our uh, glory, then head over to youtube.com forward slash at Pottywood. For now, though, enjoy the episode. Hello everybody and welcome once again to another episode of Pottywood and this week we have a guest but before we bring her on I just want to introduce myself. I am one of your co-hosts Steve Hester and joining me in the presenter seat once more we have... We say once more like I'm not here every single week. Yes, Andrew Roger Carson, lovely <laughs> to see you all again and it's great to finally have this video concept of our show fully running. It's getting better, let's put it that it's way. It's getting better. Uh, Steve is rapidly getting older with the amount of editing that he is doing in a week. And now... <laughs> Look at all this great. We had to give him two shows to do a week because that's just the kind of person I am. Uh, so, yes, we wanted to get our guests coming back on and we wanted a wave of brand new debut guests. And I thought long and hard about who we wanted to really start with. So, as my introduction. Bit of a drum roll, please, Steve. There, there it is. I'll take Okay, so I went out and I found the first guest is amazing. She is a winner of the Game Changer Award at the South by Southwest Film Festival. She is an honorary member of the Alliance of Women Filmmakers, uh, a film independent fellow, creator of Glass Elevator, and that's just the icing on the cake. There is so much more to get into. So I want to welcome here for the first time making her debut... Director, Jen McGowan. How are you, Jen? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for coming along. Where are you calling in from today? The the wonderful, wonderful East Coast. Wait, have I got my compass? Yes. West Coast. There we go. Yeah, yeah, we got him wrong. I'm on the West Coast. I'm in Los Angeles. I thought so, because you've got sun. Yes. Yes. <laughs> very lovely, beautiful yes. sun, and that is why I'm here. A teasing beam <laughs> just breaking through the background there to remind all oh, those yeah. English people... <laughs> Yeah. What we are losing. Sure, <laughs> we don't. sure. Well, that's that's my husband's British, and that's one of the reasons he moved out here. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> the lucky one to escape. Okay, Jen, mm -hmm. uh, we've got a lot to cover today uh, in this next hour. Uh, so we're going to okay. do a little bit of a deep dive into where you started to where you are right now. And as I understand cool. it, your growing up uh, was not in Los Angeles. You actually grew up in Washington, D.C., is that correct? Yeah, right outside of Washington, D.C. I was born in the city proper, but I grew up um, right outside, so like suburban D.C. Uh, and then uh, I was there until I, you know, applied for college and, and moved to New York. And, you know, everything kind of went from there. Um, I'm glad I grew up there. I, I loved being exposed to the politics and the, I mean, the museums are incredible. And then, of course, all of the outdoors activities that people are very um it's kind of like a colorado in that way you know everybody's biking and hiking and kayaking mm. and, and stuff like that yeah it's a very bike friendly place mm -hmm. unlike unlike new york which is just like every man for themselves really <laughs> every, every person for themselves you know it's funny you say that because when i was when i uh was in college there at nyu i would get from place to place rollerblading and I had some pretty close calls a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> well, from growing up in Washington, D.C., what were the kind of earliest signs that was pointing you in the direction of uh, film and television and the arts? I mean, honestly, there really weren't any until maybe high school. Um, I always wrote just for my own just pleasure and self-expression. Um, I think every kid kind of does that though so um when i got to high school though that's where i got involved with theater um and that's kind of what started me on the path towards this world uh, also um you know as i was finishing up high school and going into college that's when it was a really great um time for independent film um you know sundance was really dominant that in that way of finding new american voices 
Um, and that was very exciting. You know, you'd go to your, your non-blockbuster video store and just talk to the clerk and say, you know, what, what, what's new? What, what's interesting? Or you go over the, you go over the, um, shelves and everybody has their, uh, you know, employee pick or, you know, so that's where I was uh, first exposed really to movies. My family, you know, is just like blue collar, middle class, you know, my mom's a nurse, my dad worked for the government. So there was no real exposure um, to film, television, uh, you know, the arts, the, the, the biggest exposure to the arts was like I mentioned, you know, going down to DC and going to the museums. It didn't feel like I had any sort of personal connection or access to any of this stuff. It felt very other. Um, so I didn't really start being exposed to, oh, this could be a career until I moved to New York and started meeting people in that world and, and, and having a different perspective on, you know, how a life can be lived and, and, and how you can sustain yourself in a way that is also creative. Yeah, and to do that, you ended up going to uh, New York University Tisch School of the Arts. That's correct. I did, yeah, and I, I studied theater there. I studied it. Um, I mean, honestly, the reason I went there was twofold. You know, I wanted to get away from home and go to New York. Um, <laughs> that you know, I, I graduated high school at seventeen, and you know, moving to New York at seventeen was pretty freaking awesome. So that you know, honestly, that was my number one priority, and I didn't have the greatest grades. So I I had the skill um, in acting, so I used that to get where I wanted to go. Um, so when I auditioned, I got in, and luckily, you know, that weighed heavier than other things in the application. Um, and I studied at the Atlantic Theater Company, which is David Mamet's theater company. Yes, and that was fantastic. I'm not sure exactly if I knew what I was trying to do other than just, you know, be in New York, have a great college experience, who knows what else. Um, but that's when I started really feeling like, oh, this is something that I can do with my life. So what movies were you watching around in those early years? What were the ones which kind of made you think, maybe I could do this as well? I don't think I thought, no, I know exactly when I thought that. I did not think that until I was out of, of school, out of NYU. But in terms of exposing me to things other than, you know, just whatever the blockbuster was, something a little bit more um, personal, um, something with a different perspective than, you know, the dominant storyline at the time. Um, I mean, anything that Parker Posey was in. Basically. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the late 90s independent scene. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, God, yeah. Like, I love that stuff. And I don't think I even understood, you know, like, why I loved it. But I just loved it. Um, anything really dark. Like, I loved, um, I mean, Welcome to the Dollhouse is still one of oh, my favorite brilliant. movies. It's yeah. so dark and funny and and honest and cruel and you know it's it's just so rich um jim jarmusch movies and, and and well definitely hal hartley movies i know obviously that was earlier but it i was exposed to it then through this you know go to the video store and rent something interaction um because i don't if i i don't think we had a movie theater near me that really played indie films um i mean of course there was the rocky horror picture show which was an event yeah. to go to you know every <laughs> Still is. friday yeah. saturday night you know the midnight show you go and everybody's just like it's a blast and i remember doing that in high school um and then i think also you know when i was in high school um dc was a big influence on me in a couple of ways one is as I mentioned, politics, you yeah. know, like the world is politics there. That's like the industry, um, you know, as, as to Hollywood, it's film television in DC, it's politics. So that was very normal um, and something that I felt very educated and passionate about, you know, I felt comfortable talking about those things. I didn't realize until I was a grown up that you're not supposed to talk about those things, but that, you know, that's another story. Um, 
so that I think influenced me very much. Um, the other thing that influenced me very much was, you know, my gang that I was hanging out with at the time, you know, we would go down to the 930 club and, um, we would go to all these great clubs in DC and that was a real, like, that was where I think I started becoming exposed to not the normal traditional way. And I think that's the way growing up in DC really influenced me as, as a, I hate using the word artist, actually. I'm not so big on that word. I, 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 this is something I need to talk to my therapist about or something, but <laughs> as a filmmaker. But yeah, I think, I don't know if I even answered your question. Now. I've gone all over the world. I've that, forgotten the question. Steve, right now. Steve found the magic question that takes you on a journey. <laughs> well, you mentioned the yeah. Atlantic Theatre Company, and you're obviously working with yeah. David Mamet, who is, is a genius. And you mm. also worked with um, William H. Macy there. I did. And what I class as the last great American playwright, Sam Shepard, my hero. Yeah, and I... Yeah, I, I was very, very lucky. So so when I was at NYU, they basically kind of shopped out the theater students to different studios around the city, um, which is great because you're, um, you know, training with some really um, prestigious, at some really prestigious studios. You know, there's the Estella Adler. Um, um, I think there was the Strasbourg Theater. I'm trying to remember. But anyway... This was one of the earlier classes at, at the Atlantic Theater Company that took students from NYU. The great thing about that is um, we got to study in the theater itself. It was this teeny little, I think it used to be a church even. It's you know like an A-frame kind of building. And oh God, I can remember like ex exactly what the lock on the gate felt like. and. Um, and you go in and this little, it was a small theater. I want to say it was under a hundred seats or around a hundred seats. You know, I don't know if you know, but in New York, that's how they categorize different levels of, mm, yeah. of theaters is by the seats. So there was that, there was a little teeny, 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 tiny green room. I mean, green room, like, you know, a place to throw your bags and shit. And then there was a little studio upstairs um, and that was it. So what that meant was uh, in, a, in each acting class, there was, I think, 10 of us. But that meant we were constantly interacting with the main stage theater actors who were part of the company. And also those actors were frequently, you know, teaching us. Like Felicity Huffman gave a couple of classes. Wow. I, oh, wow. Taking classes from David Mamet and, like you said, Bill Macy. Um, so at the time, um, Sam Shepard was there because I believe the play that he was putting on was Cowboy Mouth. It was Philip Seymour Hoffman. But anyway, I didn't care about any of the actors. I was so just just enthralled with Sam Shepard because yeah. I loved his writing so much. And it's it's funny, I didn't even know at the time that he was an actor. I only thought he was a writer. Um, mm. And this was obviously pre, you know, social media and internet and all those things. <laughs> so, um, so uh, we had one class with him and I still, to this day, I think that's the only time I've been starstruck. Um, I was so nervous to ask him a question that I was like shaking and it, it was, it was really a privilege. Um, and, and, you know, the funny thing is looking back is, I feel like my training there as an actor, it wasn't for naught. It was actually director training. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but that's what I really think I was I was doing there. Well, also, um, stemming from there, and I don't know the kind of time frame of it, but you, you've worked for a number of companies following that. So there's uh, RSA, Black Dog, A Band Apart, which is Lawrence Bender's company, mm -hmm. uh, yep. Killer Films for Christine Vachon. And propaganda. Wow, you really did a dive, huh? I, I don't know how you even found Okay, so... <laughs> so he has sorry. his ways. <laughs> okay, so get it. this is a little... I, I can't... None of these should really f reflect on my quality in any manner because that's not what was really happening. So, <laughs> you know, I finished NYU and I, I got a job as a receptionist uh, at a commercial production company. Now, at the time, I was still pursuing uh, theater acting. Um, and 
that was, you know, that receptionist job was my day job. That was how I made, paid my rent and paid my bills and everything. Um, the good thing is while I was there, you know, I saw things getting made and I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. Um, so this was where I first understood that there were jobs, you know, yeah. in, in, in making film and TV and commercials and whatever. But again, I was still looking at it as my day job. So I didn't really assess things in that way. I was, you know, sure I'd show up, I'd answer the phones, I'd go home, that's fine. You know, and I'd, I'd meet people and, um, you know, like, for example, one of my dearest friends was a storyboard artist I met at the time and we're still in touch and he's worked on all my stuff. And I, oh, he just, he does amazing, amazing stuff. Um, you know, like he just did Creed 3 and I, I cannot wow. wait until I have a proper big movie Fantastic. to work with him on. When I was there, um, you know, I was getting cast in all these like girl next door, boring roles. And um, also I think because I didn't have anyone in my life who came from the world of film or television or theater, I didn't have a lot of context. I didn't have any context really for how to build a career or a life in that way. Um, you know, I think looking back, if I had just stuck with it, perhaps that could have been a, a career that would have worked out for me, but I was far too impatient. You know, I, I didn't I didn't see that what I was going through was a, a process. It, it felt, you know, it felt like an end, which was irritating to me. I, so I didn't like the roles that I was getting. And I was like, well, I gotta do something about this because I'm just not the kind of person to just, just accept the world. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I saw what was going on around me. I was like, I can do this. I can make something. Um, so that's when I direct, I wrote and directed my first short film and, you know, it was on 16 millimeter and th that meant, you know, big cameras and trucks and, you know, putting all this stuff together, which I had zero experience with, but I pulled it off and, um, you know, it's a shitty film. I'm really surprised my husband stuck with me considering he saw it <laughs> once. Um, but it functioned very importantly in my life because that was the moment where I was like, oh, you know, this is what I am supposed to do. Like the moment I made that movie, I just wasn't interested in theater anymore. I wasn't interested in that stuff. It just, it didn't excite me or fulfill me in the way that filmmaking did. Um, mostly because, you know, when I was, when I was in school, when I was at NYU, I was getting, get to, getting to do great roles and great, you know, Sam Shepard stuff, you know, like great stuff. Well, that's not what happens when you start out as a, as a little, you know, uh, uh, actor in New York, but this I could control. I had, I loved every, and I still do every single aspect of, of making a movie, you know, whether it's from finding the script to doing the color every part when I'm doing it is my favorite, <laughs> you know? They're all in. So, so, yeah. And, and so that was, that was kind of, you know, my Goldilocks moment when I was like, this, this is what I'm going to do with my life. I just instantly knew. Okay. Uh, possibly scrolling back just a little bit here, obviously when you started out on independent feature films, doing a little bit of research, you were involved with one of my favorite films, I believe in some capacity that was boys don't cry. I worked at this, uh, company as a receptionist. Then I got hired by um, my friends who were opening the New York, I mean, my friends now, at the time they were my employers, my bosses, um, who were opening the New York office of a band apart. Yeah. Um, and they hired me to be the receptionist and then the coordinator in-house. So that's how I kind of went more down that track. And then I started working as a production assistant and then a coordinator um, in commercials and music videos. And in New York at the time, you, I mean, you never had to look for work. It was, there was just work, yeah. you know, there were million dollar music videos on the regular. It was great because I'm still being exposed to and getting to work with, you know, the best crews and some of the most phenomenal directors in the industry. Um, and one of the jobs, which at the time was just a job, um, was working as a production assistant on Boys Don't Cry. And I didn't know it was foundational until I look back, but that was the first time I ever saw a female director. Kimberly Pierce. Yeah. 
And, and I've, I've very, very um, fortunately got the ability to tell her this since then. And I, I think that is why that I ended up being a movie director and not a commercial director. Yes. Because I didn't, I, I, and it didn't even occur to me. It didn't even occur to me. It didn't, it's not something I was like, oh, I can't do that. I don't see anyone. It didn't even occur to me. It's just, I'd never seen a female director ever in theater. I have. Um, and honestly, it, so I worked in commercials because the music videos kind of died down after world a while, but I worked in commercials as a, a UPM a production manager and a producer for years and years and years. And I, I did that. Um, as my day job, basically kept two different careers going at the same time. And I never told one that I was doing the other, um, until after my second feature. Um, and in that time, I, th I, I think I only ever worked for three women directors, two of whom were one-offs, you know, like never to be seen again. And the other is a wonderful, phenomenal powerhouse, um, director Peggy Serrata yes who works at Pretty Bird and she started I, I believe I might get this wrong but I, I believe she started as a um rock and roll photographer um it's it's really fun because I've I've worked at her her house before I've shot at her house before and she's a beautiful office where we would we would set up when we're shooting and you'd see these boxes of of film you know, that would say like Morgan Freeman, Vanity Fair, you know, and it was just box upon box upon box upon box upon box um, of all these incredible shoots. Um, so anyway, so I worked on Boys Don't Cry as a PA. Um, you know, I did what PAs do. I picked up trash and I, you know, handed out walkies. And I, uh, one cool thing, because it was an indie film, um, I do remember, probably, I don't know if I was allowed to be doing this, but I drove Kim and the DP um, to shoot a bunch of the driving shots. I believe we were driving all throughout New Jersey. I definitely remember it was at night. Which um, is the best, play, best time to see New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's mean. Now. Don't mean it, people of New Jersey. It's a lovely state. <laughs> it actually is. Um, and so we did that. And then the other thing, and this is, this is my real claim to fame, is that there is a scene in the movie where I think it was Chloe Savigny pulls a, a, a note out of a trash can. And that was my hand. And I'm very proud of that. <laughs> hey, there you go. Basically, basically because I was the only young woman on set that day. So I got, I got to do that. I had no <laughs> idea what the hell I was doing. Well, honestly, I, I speak to my husband about this a lot. He's in the industry as well. Um, there is so much of your career that is out of your control. Yeah. It's luck. It's, and, and I don't mean this like in a bitter way. I, not at all. It, in almost a grateful way, you know, it's like you're getting, getting knocked around this industry like a, a leaf in, in, in a storm, and you control as much as you can, but it's really very little. Um, you just have to hang on as long as you can. Your thesis film, Confessions of a Late Bloomer, yeah, uh, actually began the festival run at Tribeca, I believe. It did. So, uh, so. Once I realized, okay, this is what I want to do, I, because, and I'm not sure if this was the right decision or not, but because I was around, um, because I was around, you know, big directors and commercials, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need to go learn how to do this. I'm not sure that was the right decision, but in any case, that's what I thought at the time. So I applied to film school. I applied to AFI, which is where I wanted to go. Um, and I applied to USC and I didn't apply anywhere in New York because I, I, I thought, well, let's make this as a time to, to leave. So I got into USC, which, which actually was not where I wanted to go, which sounds incredibly arrogant. I wanted to go to AFI because I was used to, from, from studying at Atlantic Theater, I was used to the more conservatory environment. I also knew that I wanted to direct. I didn't want to do anything else. And AFI is more, you know, you, you pick your lane and that's what you stay in. Whereas USC is a bit more general and you kind of find your way as you go. So I went, I loved it. I had a great time. It's amazing. 
it will put you in a tremendous amount of debt if you don't come from money. <laughs> I don't necessarily think it's worth it, but that's what I did. Um, and I, my thesis film, like you said, Confessions of a Late Bloomer, which is a teen comedy, got, I got invited to Tribeca and that's where we premiered. It was great. So great. It was so nice to go back to New York too. Did it feel different then coming back knowing, okay, I left here and now I'm coming back with something which, which I've, I've made this thing and it's, it's starting to get some good traction with it. You know, I don't totally remember because it was a while ago, but I do know that I was very excited. I was super proud. You know, I, I knew that the film, I knew that the film was well received so I, I, I was comfortable being proud of my work. You know, it wasn't like, oh, are they going to like it? Like I had, I had played it with people. I always do test screenings. Test screenings are extremely important to me. So, um, it was just, it was just an incredible experience. And, you know, go, I loved going to film festivals with short films because you end up being in this little program with other filmmakers. You're never programmed on your own. Usually, unless you're put in front of the feature. Um, and it, you end up having this like ragtag gang of, of fellow filmmakers that you experience the festival with, and usually the city too, if you're, if you're there for a bit or the town or wherever. Um, and it's a, it's a shit ton of fun. It's great. Um, so it really was just a pleasure on all levels. It was, it was really wonderful. And not only that. Uh, your next short film, Touch, ended up winning the Grand Jury Award for Best Narrative Short at the Florida Film Festival. Yeah, so that was a little while later. So um, after I did my my thesis film, I, I left USC. I didn't graduate. I still had another semester, but I was like, I'm out. Um, so, you know, and I went back to working in production and commercials as my day job. And when I did that... Um, I think the origination of touch was I had volunteered as a first AD on a friend's film, um, a short film, Ryan Pierce Williams was the director and we shot it in El Paso and Juarez, um, with America Ferrara, who they ended up marrying that one another. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and, um, I was the first AD on that movie. Actually, Oh, the producer of that, one of the producers on that movie just produced Air. Um, oh, wow. So it, it's, it's really, I mean, I will say ooh, the thing that I think you really gain from going to film school, particularly one of the, the fancy ones is, is learning from other filmmakers um, and making those relationships. Though I think you can do that without spending all that money. I think just volunteer on people's films. Just still, you know, there's actually, there's people I know that did that who in our memories, we believe went to school with us. They didn't go to school with us. They were just hanging around. So, <laughs> anyway, so did that film. And um, one of the guys on that movie, who I think was a grip, um, we just got to know each other and he wanted to move into producing, right? And at the time I had had my film at Tribeca. So that looked fancy. I mean, look, here's the thing, whatever level you're at, you're like working with people at your same level, right? So they, they, you know, like Steven Spielberg's not gonna be impressed by me when I have a short at Tribeca, but you know, somebody else that is, is at kind of my level will be. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I want to do another, I'm going to direct another movie. Um, why don't, why don't you find it? You produce it, I'll direct it. Um, and so that was touch and, um, we went to almost a hundred film festivals. We won most of them. Florida, winning at Florida is what qualified us for the Oscar. Um, and it's so funny looking back now, like I remember how crushed I was that that we didn't make it to the to the final like nominations. And it's so ridiculous that that it was like, the, 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 that was like, so, you know, like I met a producer a few years ago who said, you know, look, no is nothing. No is neutral. You didn't have the thing before you were told no. So what are you upset about? And I was that's like, oh, that's point. right. That's but very that was, true, actually, yeah. You know, but when you get close to something, when you get close to something, I feel like that's when hope starts kicking yeah. in and that's a real <laughs> bitch. So 
that film did wonderful things for me. It continues to do wonderful things for me. It still, it still um, gets me work now. Um, and that then, which I imagine you're probably gonna ask me about next, led to my first feature. Yes, uh, your first feature was Kelly and Cal. Steve, I'm not even gonna ask you if you've seen it or not, because you've not seen anything. But I guarantee you, you're going to see it at some point. But yeah, it, it's it's a running joke on this uh, on this podcast about movies that I haven't seen. Movies. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've seen some of the worst movies, but the most critically acclaimed essential movies Steve has not seen. So we try and educate no. him every week. Oh but, goodness, I'll tell you, I cannot watch bad movies. I can't. I know people watch it for ironic re I can't do it. I just, I get so irritated. I can't do yes. it. Oh, there's um, been some for us. But yes, obviously, uh, Kelly oh, and Cal. Yeah. Uh, one, how did this movie come to be? And two, what was your experience as a first-time feature director with it? Um, when I, uh, after I did Touch, I was then looking for a feature, you know, um, and... I don't write, so I never had the desire nor the intention to write my own first, first feature. I was always looking for material. So I was reading tons of scripts. Um, and coincidentally, luckily, at the same time, um, some graduates of USC put together this program called USC First Team. And the point of this program was to facilitate uh, feature films amongst the alumni. Um, and so what they did is they, they like put the word out to the alumni and said, look, we're going to, um, run this program. Um, we're going to accept 30 directors, 30 producers, and 30 writers. And the goal is by the end of the year, you know, to have complete feature film packages ready to, ready to go. You know, you had to apply and I applied and I got in as a director. And then they held this big speed dating event where basically I met with writers and producers who were interested in similar genres as I and vice versa. So I have no idea how they figured this out, but it was, it was, um, really cool and a ton of work on their part. So I'm very grateful for that. I connected with a writer, Amy Lowe Starbin, uh, who had written a, a script that I loved the voice. I didn't necessarily necessarily connect with it personally. So it wasn't the thing that I wanted to do, but I really liked her. I really liked her writing. Um, and I was like, you know, do you have anything else? Um, she's like, yeah, I've got this movie, Kelly and Cal. And she told me about it. And it's funny when we tell this story forever, I will say she had about 20 pages and she'll be like, I have about 60 pages. And I'm like, okay, what? Well, I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, some pages existed of the story. And I was like, I love it. Let's work on that together. So, um, with this program, they basically didn't help you in any way except for to set deadlines. And if you didn't make the deadlines, you were out. That was kind of what it was. And I will say from the 30 that started, the 30 pairings that started, I believe, I think like five or six movies got made, wow. which is kind wow. of great odds. So we worked um, with a producer who was, we met through that program and um, developed the script got into a great place, handed it over to her. And then it, it kind of, it didn't, it didn't happen. Right. But Amy and I really liked working with each other. So I was like, okay, well, why don't, why don't I take the project and I will try to try to find a way to get this made. You know, I had my production experience from commercials, but those are two different worlds. So I didn't really know anybody, but I just knew like I can get shit done. Um, so we parted ways with that producer and I just basically, you know, contacted every person I knew with this project. And, and the thing is, I knew it was a good project. I knew that it was a good package because of what I had done so far. And I knew that the script was great because we, you know, we, we got feedback and we, we got responses and I knew it was good. So I was proud of this. It's kind of like what we were talking about earlier about going to Tribeca. I knew what I was sharing was good and that it would be of value to someone else. So, um, at the time, I forget what year it was, but at the time it was like right around when the whole economy crashed. So yeah. there was very little 
money going around mm. for independent films. It just wasn't the top priority. You know, people were trying to not lose their houses. Oh yeah. Um, so what I was frequently getting was love the project, love the script, either I have too much on my plate to take something on yeah, or I, I don't have the ability right now to raise money. Can you come back? Um, and that was mostly what we were hearing. So every time I heard that, I was like, no, I want to make it now. Who do you know that might be interested in a project such as this? And that's how I went. And I think I, I spoke with over 50 producers, none of whom I knew before I started this process. You know, it just, I kept getting referred and, and, and whatnot. Um, now, while I was doing this, Touch was still on the festival circuit. And completely out of the blue, I got a call from two producers in New York. Uh, their company was called Spring Pictures, um, Mandy Tagger and Adi Isroni. And they just randomly called me. And they were like, hi, you know, we're independent producers from New York. We came across your film Touch on the festival circuit and we really loved it. And we wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, if you have a feature you want to make. And I was like, what? This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Sure, that's what's happening. So now at the same time, I had, I had gotten really close with a, a producer that I loved, um, who was, we were doing a, you know, doing a legal contracts back and forth. She didn't have the money to get the film made at that time, but she was like, look, I think I can raise it. It's going to take some time. And that was the best I was able to achieve, you know, and this phone call happened and I was like, well, you know, I have a few things. The one that is most ready is this project called Kelly and Cal. I am speaking to another producer about it. We're very close to coming to terms, but it's not signed yet. And if you want to take a look, I'll send it to you. I sent it over. They loved it. Um, you know, they called me like three days later saying, we love this. We want to make this. Um, I reached out to the other producer and I said, look, these producers have money and I want to get this made now. And she was like, you know, God bless. Great. Makes, I get it. Makes sense. So I think a week later they flew me to New York. We had meetings there. Um, and then I want to say six months later we were shooting. Wow. It was a complete Cinderella story. Total, totally non-repeatable. And it's a totally wonderful film as well. I, I saw it when it first kind of got released. And uh, that, that's just the kind of movies that I love to sit and watch. Real character-driven ones. That on the I think when you know the film, you can see what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. About what drew, drew me into this industry is also what attracted me about that script. Yeah, and, and Juliet Lewis is fantastic in it. Really fantastic. I'm very, very, I was very, I'm very grateful to her working, her, both her and Sybil Shepherd. You know, those women are and were at points in their career where they don't have to do shit. You know, they don't <laughs> have to do anything. If they want to sit and do nothing, they can do that. And the fact that they were willing to trust me work with a first time filmmaker, that's a big thing for, for, you know, um, I, I feel very, very, um, grateful to them. And I really loved, loved working with them. Um, I think they were perfect for the film too. So moving on from that, one thing I wanted to bring up, which I think is really important is glass elevator, not initially called glass elevator at first. Yes. That's right. It was film. It was initially called film powered. Yeah. Um, okay. So that project is something that's a little heartbreaking to me. Um, but, uh, because it closed a couple years ago. Um, but while it was in existence, I'm, I'm very proud of what I was able to achieve with it. So, um, basically a friend of mine, um, was holding these kind of, I mean, she called them salons, um, in her house, in a, in a, um, loft downtown. And she would basically invite a variety of women in the industry to just kind of come and hang 
and talk about, you know, what was ever going on in the industry at the moment. And it was a real cross section of people. It was like lawyers and actors and directors. And um, it, it was really great and very stimulating and exciting to be around, you know, like-minded people from very different areas of the business. A lot of times you're only around what you're doing, you know, other directors or other writers. And it's like, well, that's great, but I don't work with other directors. So as much as I love having drinks and shooting the shit, it's not really gonna, you know, further my career in any fashion. I need to know other people and other people need to know me. Um, this is going to sound really basic, but I love learning stuff. I get really excited about learning. And I think that's also one of the reasons I love this career is because you never know a hundred percent. You're always learning. <laughs> and if you're not comfortable with that, this is not a great business. Um, so what I realized was, you know, every time I talk to someone, there is an exchange that happens. They learn something from me and I learn something from them. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, how can, how can we kind of s systemize that? Um, and scale that experience up. Um, and at the same time, you know, having done my first feature, I was becoming more and more aware of the industry and the gender politics of the industry. And then looking back on my career going, oh, wow, yeah, I never worked with any women. I was always the only one. I didn't realize it, but that was the case. Why? That's horrible. What can, you know, how can I fix that? What can I do about that? So, um, the basic idea of film powered when it started was, uh, and it was also very important to me, by the way, uh, something I think that you see happen a lot in, in industry towns like New York and LA is there's all, there's always workshops. There's always workshops. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but the people who need the workshops can't afford the workshops. So what, this doesn't make sense. Like, why are we preying on people who just need information? You know? Um, so the other thing that was very important to me was that whatever this was, was going to be free. Um, so basically what I did is I created a, it was a tool online that women will become members of this group at the time called film powered. And when they became members, they would get two credits and you were incentivized to participate with one another by gaining more credits. So for example, if I taught a class about blocking, I would get a credit and mm -hmm then I could use that to take a class about VFX. And it was all the members who were teaching one another. Um, because I really feel like you learn the most, especially because the industry and everything changes so much so fast now. You learn the most from those who are already kind of in your orbit, maybe one or two steps ahead of you. Um, because they're participating in the same industry with the same tools amongst the same people at the same time. Um, so that went on for, oh gosh, I want to say five or six years in the middle of that. We partnered with a company, changed the name to glass elevator. Um, there were over 5,000 members wow. international. Um, we had, I think there were over 500 classes and events that were all free. Um, and, um, and then, you know, we grew other things as well. Like, for example, I added a, a, a element where people could employ um, members. And I think we had, and, and, you know, the rule about that was it had to be a fully paid job, no internships, no, you know, bullshit yeah. like that. Um, any minority group, anyone who is not the dominant paradigm can frequently be taken advantage of, uh, you know, for doing free work because they just want in so badly. Yeah. Um, mm. So that was very important to me and, um, lots of women got work off of it. And more importantly, all of these things were before COVID. So they were in person Yeah. and women were meeting one another and building relationships and, and building, you know, making projects and, and going on to do other things with one another. And that's what was important to me because I realized, you know, all these lists that were happening at the time, trying to get people hired. I was like, that's not how the business works. I knew from being a producer, you hire people, you know, and the reason is because if they fuck up, you're going to lose your job. So it's very important that you have 
in-person experiences with people just so I know, do they show up on time? Are they enjoyable to be around? You know, do they, are they responsible? Are they organized? These are things you need to know. And, you know, I, I would always say like these classes were, were, were basically excuses to get these women to meet. And because most of these classes were, you know, 10 or 15 people, um, people made real relationships, you know, rather than going to a panel or a big a mixer event where there's 50 or a hundred or 200 people. Um, so I'm, I'm very proud of that. I, I wish I could have taken it further. I really wanted to, but you know, f for the first three or four years of it, it was, I ran the whole thing myself and funded the whole thing myself. Um, and it, it just wasn't sustainable. I grew it to the point that I could grow it and I needed help. And unfortunately I couldn't find the help that I needed. So, um, in the end, I had to be happy with what, what we had achieved in that time. Uh, and you certainly should, because there are so many people, women in the industry, especially who've gained more skills through those free workshops and have probably gone on to other areas in the business with those skills that you've learned. So you should be extremely proud of it. And I think a lot I of really women in the business so. would I mean, thank you. I really hope so. That's, you know, and, and, it, and I just, I just wanted to do my part. You know, when you see a problem, it's like, okay, well I can fix that. So I might as well do it. <laughs> you know, nobody's <laughs> fixing it. Um, yeah. Well, and very briefly, um, your next feature movie would be Rust Creek which was done with uh, the uh, Lunacy Productions mandate to support female filmmakers. And very happy that you are with it because most of the key roles were taken up by women. That's right. And, and that's important to me to hire, you know, to hire the same way that I try to um, talk about the business. Um, and, and, and honestly, it's not always easy. It depends on the particular role you're hiring or where you are, you know, like, for example, our, our crew was not as ethnically diverse as I would like, you know, we were shooting in Kentucky. So, um, I, I try to constantly put diversity and inclusion at the forefront, not because it's the right thing to do. It is, but also because in my experience, what I have found is once people are working professionally, the women and the people of color, whatever role they are in, have had to work harder to get there. Yes. Um, so they're, they're, they're yeah. a great bet. Um, so yes. Yeah, so Rust Creek, I, um, was trying to put together a film called Millie to the moon, which I adored. Um, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't put it together. I was trying to duplicate the same thing that happened with Kelly and Cal, but I I was, I wasn't able to put it together. One of the meetings that I had was with a financier, Stu Pollard, whose company is Lunacy Films. Yeah. And I had pitched to him in a meeting about that film um, as a potential financier. And he didn't respond to the material, uh, but we got along really well. And he was like, I have a project I'd love to send to you if, if you'd be interested. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was Rust Creek. And I read it and I loved it. And I loved it not only for what it was, but for what I thought it could be and for what I thought I could do with it. Um, and I just went all in. I was like, yes, this is what I want to do. Let's do it. Um, and actually similar to Kelly and Cal, I, I think we were shooting like three or four months later. So that was the film, um, with Hermione Corfield. Uh, we shot it in Kentucky over 22 days. Um, and that one did great. We sold it to IFC. We did great on Netflix. It's been on Amazon, you know, all the places. And that is the project that really helped me break into television um, because I, I wasn't able to do that before making that movie. Well, well Steve, you, you know a fair bit about television. I think you see more series than you actually do on movies. So yes, looking in here, Jen, although she is a great independent filmmaker, she transferred very well over to horror and science fiction, surprisingly. And not only that, for major franchises as well. The first one we've got to start with is 
the episode of The Purge entitled Happy Holidays. Now, mm. what is surprising about this uh, that I found out this week, this is actually received as one of the best episodes of the second season, and it was your only episode you directed. I did not know that. Thank you for telling me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very happy to hear that. Now, here's here's one thing which um, the the Purge itself has been one of these movie franchises which kind of grew from, shall we say, a slightly mixed reception for the first one, and then it's become more and more and more wildly loved as it's been going on. How did you feel coming to this series? I mean, I was excited. I was excited. I, I it's a great project to work on. I was very lucky to start there, you know, with, with a big brand, a piece of IP, which is, is exciting because, um, you know, it's different when you're directing something that is, um, is known. There are certain things that your audience is expecting. Um, and you want to give that to them. At least I do. Um, so I thought it was a great opportunity and I was, I was very excited. When we, let's see, we shot in New Orleans um, and TV, TV goes pretty fast. Um, you know, you, it, it's a moving train already that you as a filmmaker, you jump onto. Um, you know, everything's already happening, kind of whether you participate or not. Um, and you just have to jump in and, and do the best that you can with, with what you're looking at. Well, if you're going from something like uh, The Purge and, obviously, Star Trek Discovery, um, how much are you allowed to express yourself uh, creatively uh, versus um, uh, versus the, the, the needs of the series? So that's, that's a, um, a question that comes up a lot um, when you're talking about the difference first between film and television, and then you're talking within television – you know, are you talking about what what kind of material are we talking about? And in this case, you're talking about a franchise material. Um, mm. As a director in television, you know, there's a couple of options. There's episodic directing, which is, is what I'm currently doing. There's pilot directing. And there is, uh, well, there's also producing directing, which, and there is, uh, you know, directing like limited series. Of them... Directing limited series is probably most similar to film, where you get the most creative um, uh, range, the, the broadest amount of range to work in, and then pilot, and then episodic. Um, aside from whether it be big IP or not, television is the, sh the writer's medium. You know, it, it, they are the ones that are in charge. I work for the writer. I work for the showrunner when I come on to work in television as opposed to when I work in film, I work for myself. I mean, I, you know, I work for the studio or the producer, of course, but creatively I work for myself. And it's, it's mm. funny because a friend of mine who started in commercials, directing commercials, and then went into directing television, um, excuse me, and is now doing her first feature. Uh, we're, we're in touch a lot during her, her movie, you know, just like, for me to support her and whatever she needs and and by the way she's a phenomenal established director in her own right she's had a movie, movie before she's like oh my god this is amazing I can do whatever I want <laughs> and I'm like ah, yeah like this is why filmmakers like movies um, but you know in a way she kind of did it right because she went from t television commercials where you are very beholden to the agency and the clients the brand to something a little bit looser, which is television, where you're working for the showrunner, to something much more loose, where you're working for yourself. So I think in in my move from independent film, where I get to do what I want, into television, where I work for a showrunner, it was very useful for me to have experienced commercial sets. Because I understood that just because you don't get to make every decision does not mean you're not having a creative impact. Um, the difference is your sandbox is just a little bit smaller. And there's the puzzle, there's the, you know, there's the, which I find exciting. There's the further layer of the puzzle of not just how do I make this great, but how do I make this great and let it be the thing that it already is? You know, I can't, I can't do 
I can't go in and be like, okay, Star Trek, you know, let's do this uh, grainy and all locked down in one single shot. Actually, the one single shot thing they might go with. But, the, you know, like, <laughs> you, you, you gotta, there's, this, there's a language to it. And, mm. and that's, that's cool. You know, it's like as a musician, like, am I doing hip hop or am I doing jazz or am I doing, you know, classic rock? Those are different languages. And so for me as a filmmaker, as long as I understand which one I'm dealing with, um, it's very exciting and it's very creative. Uh, just, just not in the same way. Film directing and television directing are very different. I'm, I'm always surprised when I hear people say they're the same thing because I'm like, I don't think you've done both of them because they're not. <laughs> well, also on the horror front, you were involved with Jordan Peele's reimagining of The Twilight Zone. You directed the episode Try Try that starred Topher Grace. And uh, this was shot in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And this had probably one of the best kind of reverse Groundhog Day style plots so as we say as an example in groundhog day bill murray starts out as a, like this bad character and he has to relive the same thing over and over until he gets better <laughs> the one with this what if a person got worse and worse <laughs> yeah. you know and, and it's go back. black Adder's christmas carol isn't it <laughs> yeah, i'll take that yeah. i'll take that <laughs> i mean look i can't i can't take credit for the writing um, but I am very proud of my work on that. And, and particularly because first of all, Topher was such a blast to work with. Um, so creative actors always just, they have so much, and I'm a pretty energetic person, but actors have so much energy. It's always so impressive. Um, and he is just, I, I think because, you know, he does so much comedy, like it's just constant, constant ideas, yeah. constant it's so exciting to work in that way. Um, and why I'm particularly proud of that episode is because it's two people at a single location for 45 minutes. And that's, that's some serious, like high wire work yeah. as a filmmaker to figure out how to make that not boring. <laughs> I mean, that's mm. it. That's what you're going for. Like, how is this? How am I not going to bore the shit out of my audience? Um, and I, I knew that going in, that that was the challenge. And I was very glad because um, my this is where my short film Touch came in and, and helping still. Um, you know, that film was two women standing on a train platform for 12 minutes. And because I had done that, I felt confident that I could then do this. I was like, I know this. Not only do I know this, I know what the problems are going to be. I know what the challenges are going to be. I know what I have to do in order to make this work. Um, and I, I don't usually work, watch my work after it's done, but I have seen that a couple of times since. And I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that episode. No, it should. It's a great episode. And the, Thank the, you. The strange thing is coming from horror, and with your background at that point, one of the biggest surprises, you then move on to DC's Titans. Now, mm. you know, on the episodes Inside Man and Brother Blood, which I believe That's are right. from the most recent season. Now, these were the final episodes before the season break. So these were yes. the, the cliffhanger episodes to build anticipation. So coming from yeah. independent cinema to like the, the hottest thing on the planet, which is, you know, the superhero world, you know. So great. How was your kind of process in jumping straight into that? It's so such a different world from independent cinema. It is. And this is, I do think um, my ability to work in different genres, I think has been helped by not being a writer. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't, um, when I'm making work, what excites me is not expressing expressing my internal state or you know or or whatever. What, what excites me is the puzzle of coming up with the best images to express what's happening at the moment. The the puzzle of um, how do I make the words on the page? How do I highlight in that that in a particular way? How do I focus the audience's attention on the thing that I want them to look at at that time? How do I get them to feel what I want them to feel? And how do I craft those performances to achieve that? Um, 
So because of that, I, I th- and I think this is also why I earlier with um, when we use the word artist, um, why I see myself more as a craftsperson because changing genres is something that is very creatively satisfying to me. Mm. You know, it, it, you just look at the language of what you're dealing with and say, okay, I, I get the language. Now, how can I do the best version of that language? Um, and that's what I, I tried to do with Titans. Um, and I think, I think the episodes turned out really well. And, uh, if we're going to boldly go, I guess we've kind of got to boldly go on to, uh, Star Trek Discovery here, which is a tremendous series. Yes. You uh, directed the episodes All In and Rosetta. Now, All In followed one of the highest points for the series before taking a break. The, the show was on its major high at that point. Was the pressure on with your episode coming in practically first, right? So here is the thing about... I don't, I don't, I get really excited about things. I don't really feel, I mean, it's not that I don't feel pressure. It's just that I think I'm so focused on what I'm doing. It doesn't occur to me. <laughs> so for example, the, the showrunner, Michelle Paradise, who I adore and just the show was that it was an absolute dream experience. And I did another episode in the, in the final season as well, which hasn't come out yet. Um, I just love it. It was such a phenomenal experience um but you know we would be on set and she'd be like jen jen you're making canon and i'm like don't tell me that i don't want to know that (laughs) like why would you do that to me um i don't know i think i think you have to have a good amount of denial in order to be able to focus on the work and not get get intimidated by the bigness of it because it's really and you like that's what you want as a filmmaker. You want large audiences to see your work. You want to connect with large audiences. If you're going to do that, you know, um, I think you got to be able to like shut off those parts of your brain in yeah. order to just be able to jump in. Were there any points though, when you were directing that, that you did suddenly, I don't know, have, have like a little, Oh my God. Yes, this is, this is the moment and then having to re and then had to reel it back. I'll tell you what, those two, those first two episodes were shot at the very beginning of COVID. It was before we had vaccines. So we were moving so fast in such a really, um, it was a really high pressure environment actually. Cause honestly, everybody was scared. We didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, So I I don't think I ever had those moments, not in those two episodes. In the third episode, um, although having a Tribble in my episode, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but have you got a little green glowing rock? That's what we want to know. That's that's pretty cool. Um, The third episode that I did, that that I said, like like I said, hasn't come out yet. there were some of those moments and I unfortunately cannot talk about no. them yet, <laughs> but I suspect when you see the episode, you will know what I'm talking about. Um, because it's, uh, there's some really cool shit in that episode. What I want to know is did at any point during directing that episode, did you go up to a door and go, shh, <laughs> did you, <laughs> did you make the door sound? Cause I, I still do it now. <laughs> if I come to a door that it just opens, I still do the oh, Star Trek. You know what? This isn't Star Trek related in that way, but I'll tell you one day on set, um, Stacey Abrams was there. Oh, wow. Because mm. as you know, she, she loves Star Trek and they gave her a top secret role. And that was shot on the day that I was there. And I was like, oh, it was very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> And I had to keep my mouth shut for eight months. It was horrible. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Well, I mean, obviously, you've got uh, another episode of Star Trek Discovery coming out. You've got a more bright Mm -hmm. future in more TV and independent film, we hope. We still want to see some more movies come out. Uh, One question I want to ask, because obviously you are so instrumental in uh, the women filmmaker movement. And 
we're seeing more and more women directors coming into sci-fi and coming into horror. Yeah. Now, what do you think personally the future of women directors in other genres such as westerns, thrillers, action, these kind of genres that haven't fully embraced and got their like major women directors to get mm -hmm. their stamps so far? I mean, I think it's just a matter of time. I, I think all of this, un look, unfortunately, our industry is so skewed towards the white male filmmaker that, um, you know, we have these fits and starts in our industry of pushing diversity forward. Unfortunately, we don't have anything that lasts. You know, we don't have a sustainable systemic change. Um, so, you know, and what, what we're having happen right now in our business, regardless of the strike, um, is a contraction. You know, we had streamers for the last, I don't know, five, eight, 10 years where there was all this content being made. And that was a really wonderful thing for a variety of filmmakers, because frankly, more jobs means, you know, you're going to need more people than just straight white guys because yeah. there's not enough. Mm. Um, it's purely a numbers thing. So a lot of people got opportunities. I'm sure that's why I got some of the opportunities that I got. Um, I'm very grateful for that. And I have fortunately been able to continue, you know, just cause you get an opportunity doesn't mean it's going to last. And I have been able to do that. And I am certain lots of other women are having that happen as well. I'm concerned about what is going to happen in the next couple of years. I, you know, we still haven't made proper strides. Um, we're nowhere near uh, levels of representation that are equivalent to, you know, the population. We're certainly not at 50%. So I don't know. We'll just have to see. Well, I mean, today's been a fantastic episode. We can't thank you enough for coming on and we really hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, is there anything else that, apart from Star Trek Discovery, that uh, you're currently looking to release? Anything to promote? <laughs> you know, not at the moment. I, I like. I do hope people check that out, and if they haven't seen my movies, I hope they check those out too. Um, but anything else that I'm working on, unfortunately, is under wraps for the moment. Um, but there's lots of good stuff coming. I'm very happy. And we want very you, excited. And we want you to let us know about them when they're ready to be told. Um, we will feature it here on the okay. show and let them know. In the meantime, Jen McGowan, thank you so much for joining us here as the first guest of the video Partywood. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, well, I guess that's it then for today's episode. Thank you very much for watching, uh, and I hope that you've enjoyed it. If you want to get involved in discussing anything that you've heard about in this episode and you just need to go to the links below you can hop onto our facebook page at facebook.com forward slash pottywood you can hit us up on twitter at pottywood you can follow the r slash pottywood subreddit you can join us on linkedin you can also get us on uh patreon where you can get audio versions of these episodes a couple of days earlier than when they actually go out as the full video things uh so for now once again, it is a very big thank you to Jen McGowan. Thank you so much for having me. And we want some subscribers, and... so get down there. Come on. You're getting the, this the content the for bottom. free. <laughs> yes. So in that case, it is a goodbye from me. And uh, I've got to leave too, or otherwise I'm going to be here all on my own.